Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, Thunder fans? It's your boy Dylan coming to you with an ad from our sponsor. We are part of the Believe Podcast Network, and so we are coming at you with our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your bet betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And don't forget, this weekend as the run to the roses is on at the Kentucky Derby. You know, my my neck of the woods in Kentucky. Um, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use promo code BLEAV. That is all capital letters BLEAV or BLEAV or believe to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Enjoy the pod. What's up, guys? It's Dylan from the future here. So just want to preface this podcast by saying we went a long time <laughs> talking about the movers and shakers on our big boards and how it changed, you know, since what, the last couple weeks when we first did our first big board. So um, you know, I think we go by hour, hour 15 talking about this. And then after that, we do some tankathon sims to talk about different scenarios and who might be there. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to split that up into two parts. I know some people don't like <laughs> longer podcasts a lot. I'm always of the mind that you just pause it and come back to it later. But this way, you know, you can actually break it up into two pods. So we're going to do that. So after I get done rambling here, you guys are going to hear our discussion of how the big board has changed. And then in part two is when we will dive into Tankathon. Um, the guys make fun of my organizational skills when I share my screen on my desktop. Uh, we go over different scenarios, who we think other teams might take in their scenarios. And uh, overall, it was a lot of fun. So hope you guys enjoy the pod. Uh, tune in on Wednesday. We're going to have draft at Draft Film School. His name is Alex from the No Ceilings Collective as well. And then Saturday, Tower Carroll of uh, Lottery Fame. Uh, the guy that is going to come in and break down all of the different lottery combinations that may or may not happen next week on May 17th. It's getting close, guys. We're like nine days away now. So uh, without further ado, here's your pod. Hope you enjoy. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Top of Thunder podcast. I am your host, Dylan Hunsinger at Thunder Chats. I'm joined by 
my man in Tejas, Matty Moles. Matty, how are you, sir? Man, I'm really good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, personally, in a new position for a month, getting my butt kicked, but I'm loving every minute of it. Here in Texas, it hit 100 degrees today. I'm absolutely getting my butt kicked, but still loving most every minute of it. We got pool time in this morning, so that was fun. And uh, enjoying a little NHL playoffs. The Colorado Avalanche are destroying Nashville, and so it's a lot of fun there as I'm biding time waiting on the 17th of May to figure out what our fortunes are going to be. There you go, man. You know, I am a very passive Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Uh, Mario Lemieux back in the day and then Sidney Crosby uh, is, the, is the new generation. So, as I said, very passive. If you ask me to name another Penguins person from the past, like, 20 years, couldn't do it. So, that's that's how passive I am. But, yeah, man, like you said, you know, lottery's coming up. We are within two weeks. Like, we are 10 days from – today no not 10 days uh uh it's the 17th so it'd be nine days as of this publishing oh, there you go so nine days away man so yeah exciting thing exciting time so you know like you know like i said you know we're back with another episode we're deep in the heart of our draft coverage we don't have a guest today it's just going to be us, and I thought this would be a good time to kind of revisit our big boards because, you know, Moles, me and you was talking before the pod. You know, you get you got a chance to listen to some of the guests that we had on. Obviously, I got a chance to listen to them because I was either on the pod or I edited the pod. So, you know, after hearing from guys that know about the draft and these prospects a lot but more than we do, I think it's time to revisit our boards and see if there was any moving and shaking involved. So without further ado, man, let's jump into this. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read who we had one through eight, and then we'll start from the bottom at eight and go from there. Sound good. Perfect. All right, man. Well, we'll start with you. So you had Chet, Jabari, Palo and Ivy as your top four. Then you had AJ Griffin, Shaden Sharp, Keegan Murray, and Jalen Duran. And then on my side, I had Jabari Smith Jr., Palo, Chet, Jaden Ivy, AJ Griffin Jr. I think it's not AJ Griffin Jr., is it? It's just AJ Griffin. Yeah, I don't think it's a junior. All right. Yeah. Well, I need to go fix my article then that I wrote. Uh, Shaden Sharp, Benedict Matherin, and Keegan Murray. And joining the show right now from the great state of Oklahoma, you know him, you love him. He uses the silhouette on his first guest anytime he plays Purtle. The one, the only, Alex Roig. What is up? Yes. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, Dylan. Like, you not using the silhouette <laughs> at, at all. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Like, you have to do it at least once. Like, you have to at least look and be like, oh, this is Big Head Pete or something like that. Like, you have to use it at least once. No, man, so, no. Yes. I, 
I, I tried to I tried to go through it without using it. Tried to just use my knowledge, you know, the context clues that it gives me. If I get to guess eight and I still don't know, that is the only time I will use the silhouette. Mm. I mean, like, I get it. Like, if you look at it and like, like they have dreads, you know, it ain't a white dude. Like, I mean, so you can eliminate like every white guy, every European white guy in the league, you know. But I don't know. To me, it just makes it a little bit more challenging, a little bit more fun. Not challenging, but a little bit more fun just to kind of see the silhouette and be like, oh, that skinny ass head, that's Poku. I know that. <laughs> you know? Hey, I'm just saying, I don't think the game would would want you to do it if they didn't at, or let me say, I don't think the game would out you on when True you that. use the silhouette if they didn't want you to use it. So True that. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, Alex, man, you know, you, you caught us at the very beginning. We're just kind of going over our previous big boards that we had before we dive okay. into our new big board. So, I just read Moles. I read mine. I'm going to read yours now. So, uh, you had Chet, Jabari, Paolo, and A.J. Griffin, who Maddie junior. Moles has clarified is junior. So, A.J.G.J. And uh, then Shaden Sharp, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and Keegan Murray. So, so do I want to change it? Is that what you're asking? Well, we're gonna we're start gonna start from, from the, the bottom, bottom, man. We're okay, start from the bottom. Let now me... we're here. Yeah, there you go. Got the whole gang's here. I've got to pull mine up because I tweeted it out. So if if there's discrepancy, people will pull receipts and be like, ah. All right. So yeah, starting from the bottom, uh, at number eight, I have Benedict Matherin. Moles, what about you? Uh, I'm sticking with Duran. And I Alex? Mean, what about Alex's fan? What does <laughs> Alex's fan have to say? The ceiling fan. I love it. All right. Well, while we're waiting for Alex's ceiling fan to answer us, um, I do want to note, uh, you know, like I said, I did tweet this out. So I'm noted if they went up or down and where their previous my, spot was. My uh, fault, my fault. No, you're good. You're good. I, I, I'll, I'll finish what I was saying. And so, like, like I said in the big board, I have been at Mathur number seven. You know, obviously he dropped down a spot for me. And, you know, that's not an indictment on Matherin. It's, you know, somebody else moving into my big board, which we'll cover here in a moment. So, Alex, who is number eight on your board now? Um, so, number eight, let's see. So, um, you got Keegs number eight. Okay. So, you guys are staying consistent on your number eight. Let's move on to seven. This is where I have A.J. Griffin Jr., A.G.G.J., Famously. So, Alex, so you got seven. Uh, so, I actually, I actually bumped him down to seven. You bumped him down to AGGJ? Okay. Yes. We, from now on, that is how we refer to him on this A-G-G- show. A-G-G-J? A-G-G-J. A-G-G-J. AJ Griffin Jr. AJGJ. Yes. You got to say it fast, too. So, uh, Matty Moles. Number seven for you, my friend. I'm actually going with AJGJ as well. Very good. I do have a question about math. He didn't, he didn't say it fast. He just said it. Yeah, say it fast. AJGJ. 
AJGJ. Is that fast enough? Oh, All right. Yeah. Um, I do have a question about Matherin. Does it yeah. feel like he's this this uh, drafts Halliburton? Guy has a lot of production out west, kind of slips in the draft, and is just going to be able to come in and get buckets. You said like who? Is he going to be? Is is yeah? Is oh, Matherin oh, going to be the Halliburton of this draft? See, the thing with Matherin, I think, is, and I, I've had somebody else tell me this, and I, you know, I think, I believe, I don't know if it was Corey or Tyler, I think Tyler said it, is that um, Matherin can, he can float in some games sometimes. Like, if he's, if he's 100% engaged, like, if it's a tournament game, like that game against TCU, he's going to look great because he's going to be engaged. Um, but if it's a game, you know, the fear is if it's a game in February against, you know, the Sacramento Kings on a Tuesday night, he may not be enga- as, as engaged as if it was a game, you know, on a Saturday night against the Golden State Warriors or whoever, you know, the, the Memphis Grizzlies now. Um, so that's, that's all, you know, and, and, I, and I've had other people tell me that, is that the fear with him is sometimes like, you know, he runs, he runs cold sometimes if it's not a game where he's engaged. That was Albert, by the way, that said that. Okay, that was Albert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, I uh, – so like I was telling most before we started, I have an article coming out hopefully Monday for Boomtown Hoops where I – you know, we're going to actually do this at the end of the pod where we do some tankathon sims. I do like five tankathon sims and um, basically just like break down where I think each player is going to go and when I get to the Thunder, explain why I'm taking it there. And there's a section where I talk about Matherin. And what I compared Matherin to was kind of like a supercharged Aaron Wiggins. I feel like they do a lot of the same things. You know, mm-hmm. Wiggins, obviously, uber athletic. He's a great slasher, a great, you know, a great cutter. Um, flashes defensive potential. Like, he's got all the tools. He's got the size to be a great defender. And we've seen flashes of him being a good defender, much like Matherin. And when he has the ball in his hands, he's just smooth. Like, he doesn't have, like, a super deep bag like a Trey Mann or somebody like that, but he's smooth. He's a smooth operator with the basketball. Like, you know, he scores with ease. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like, I – you know, what prompted Albert to say that is I said that I feel like he's just a dog on both ends, and I still feel that way. You know, even if he does coast in and out of games, you know, we had another dog in OKC and Russell Westbrook, and, you know – he didn't coast in and out of games in terms of his like intensity, but defensively, like Russell Westbrook was not all, all the way there all the time. I yeah, think true we, that. Can, we can say that. So, um, you know, I'm not saying Benedict Matherin is going to be, you know, as good as Russell Westbrook or as bad as Aaron Wiggins, but, um, you know, there's, I, I think there's a wide variance for what he can be. But, you know, basically, you know, what we saw in the postseason, I'm very encouraged by it. And, Mm-hmm. I have high hopes for Matherin. I can see that. I can see that. Moles, you know, you brought up the question about Matherin. You don't even have him in your top eight, or do you? I I don't. He's he's number he's number nine for me. Gotcha. Um, Respect. It's just really. I mean, I I see the upside there. I just the only other guards that I've got in my top eight um, have much higher ceilings, I think. 
Yeah. And so like, that's the only reason, like you got to have a super high ceiling for me to be a guard. Um, because this is, I'm looking at this through a lens of like for the thunder. Right. And like yeah. what I want for us. And so if you don't have that super high ceiling, like I, I just think like he's, he's good. Like he could be a sixth man type of guy, but like that really caps our potential upside and our ability to make an, uh, you know, make an arrival, if you will, in the playoffs instead of an appearance, yeah. he can help get us there, but I don't know if he's got the ceiling to take us anywhere else beyond that. So the other guys that I have that are guards ahead of him mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And, and the thing with Matherin, like, you know, he's not a guy you're going to take like top five or top six or something like that. Like if you get Benedict Matherin, it's probably, he's probably going to be paired with the first guy you drafted. Like Matt Benedict Matherin, if he ends up on the Oklahoma city thunder in all likelihood, it's going to be because it's a second draft pick. So, you know, you kind of yeah, rely. Matt, yeah. Go ahead. Matherin is like, Matherin is like a worst case scenario or, or you move up with the with the Clippers pick. I don't I don't think he'll fall all the way down to twelve, but you know if you happen to swing a deal where you move up to ten or you move up to nine, you know then you take a Matherin and it makes sense. Like the Clipper pick moves into the top four and OKC's is like sixth or seventh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ooh, no, I, then... I don't even I don't even think you take him then. See, like yeah. I, I I honestly think that there is a there's at least eight guys that you would select, you know, before him. And so, you know, if, if, you, if you get into that into that scenario where you have the Clippers pick at like two and like the Thunder pick at like seven, I don't even think you, you know, I don't even think you even go for, uh, for Matherin. Well, obviously you think there's eight people better because he's not in your top eight, Alex. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, kind of getting back on track with the board here. So AJ Griffin Jr. is a guy that, you know, I, I don't remember exactly where you guys had him, but I had him six. So he, he dropped one spot for me. And I would I, I like AJ Griffin Jr. I would still be very excited if we ended up getting him on the team. Um, but the thing that kind of – I had him at four. You had him at four and he dropped seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I had him at five. Okay. So, hey, the, he, he, he dropped a varying degrees. But, like, the thing that scares me about him is his injury history – um, there's a lot of scouts, like a lot of the people we talked about, you know, there's or talked to, they've said, you know, they're not a hundred percent sure. Like he's ever going to get back that athletic pop that he once had. Like, you know, obviously he's a great shooter and like, you know, if the form's working, like you can't argue with the production, but you know, it's a weird form and you know, what's, what else is he going to be able to provide you besides shooting? Because, a lot of people want to point to his defense, but when you watch back the film, it's pretty flat-footed, pretty heavy-footed. Like, you know, he mm-hmm. – it, it, it's not as, you know, good as it's scrapped up to be. And that's not saying that he doesn't have the frame, doesn't have the potential to be a good defender. But, you know, right now, you know, there's some question marks. So, Alex, you had him falling the most out of any of us. You know, what for, for what reason did he fall for you? Uh, so, uh, a lot of what you talked about as far as, like, the injury history – as far as the inability, you know, or, or the or the thought that possibly, you know, that athletic player that we had in high school before the injuries may not ever get back. And, 
you know, in the NBA, it's the best of the best. And if you are, are, you know, if you're not able to, if you're not able to add that D part into the three and D part of it consistently, um, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that you should be like a top five, top six pick. So that's why, especially that's why I in, it. Go ahead. in this era, right. Of positionless basketball. Like yes. if, if you don't, if you don't have that pop and the athleticism is not showing, they're going to switch you to a one or a two, and then you're going to get cooked. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're, so you can have all the frame you want and the length is, is fine. But like, man, if you can't, if you can't stay in front of a guy, like you're going to get yeah. played off the floor in the playoffs. Yeah. And you don't want a that, situation that's really where you're, tough. you're a top five pick and your coach is having to say, you can't play AJ DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right. I hope that catches on so bad. <laughs> so, all right. Well, hey, moving on from seven, we're going to number six. And this is where my board really has gotten shaken up. This guy moved up from number 11 uh, Alex, I think you've been on enough pots to know that I really like this guy. Uh, it's Dyson Daniels is my number six prospect. Wow. Okay. You need to elaborate a bit. I'm not shocked, but that's, that's interesting. Well, let, let, let's hear who you guys have first, and then you know we, we can all kind of take turns talking about it. So who do you got at six, Moles? Uh, I got Keegan. Keegs. All right. And Alex, what about you, sir? I got uh, Duran. Duran at six. Okay, we'll come back to that for sure. All right, so the reason I have Dyson Daniels so high, and like, you know, like I said, it's no surprise if you've been listening to the past few pods. Like, he's always been a prospect that I liked. Even when he was a 6'5 guard, that was probably the third, fourth option on the G League at night team. Just the tools that he had, the playmaking ability that he showed, uh, the basketball IQ that he plays with, like the understanding of the game, always being in the right places, and like just freaking locking dudes up on the defensive end. Like all of the draft guys that we've had on have said, like bar none, this guy is going to be the best perimeter defender in this draft class. And I'm not even to the best part yet. When Mike Schmitz Ooh. tweeted out, "There's more." Yeah, but wait, there's more. When Mike Schmitz, when Mike Schmitz tweeted out that Dyson Daniels was joining the draft, he let in some intel that not a lot of people realize. One, he shot 45% from three in his last nine games. I realize that's a small sample size, but it shows when, like you know, it shows linear improvement from you know what it was at the beginning of the year, and the coup d'état, the thing that just like get you foaming at the mouth is Dyson Daniels had a three inch growth spurt in the middle of his G league season. So started the season at six, five, he's now six, eight. He was going to be a guard, probably a point guard. Now he's a wing who has playmaking chops, who can be a lockdown defense defender. And to top it all off, he's freaking Australian. And in the exit interviews, I said this a few times, there's joking with Josh Getty, like, hey, if you pay attention to this class, who would you like to play with? Could you tell us? Ha, 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 laughing. Are you friends with Dyson Daniels? Josh Getty goes, that's a guy I'd love to play with. That's all I got to say. Dyson Daniels, I feel like he's going to be in a Thunder jersey. I mean, Dyson Daniels made you use the phrase coup d'etat. Like, that's, I mean, that's something. That's something, so. I like saying coup d'etat. I'm. 
I'm just going to say that, you know, three inches of growth is not nothing either. No, God. I, no, I, so. I mean, hey, that's, that's right. very true. That's a lot of, it, it brings a lot of positivity in your life. I mean, you work with what you got. All right. So, Alex, you got Duran at six. Um, so, I have yes. him at number 10. He dropped down from number nine from eight. Moles obviously has him at eight. Why do you got Duran so high? I just think, I, I, I just think Duran is, he's, I, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a monster, man. Like, he's so young. Like, you, like, he's literally, what is it, like a year and a half younger than Chet? Like, the kid is so young. He already has, like, these massive shoulders. He has, you know, he has a wingspan for days. Like, when you talk about Dwight Howard, and I know, like, a lot of times people talk about Dwight Howard, and he has such this negative connotation, you know, based off of, like, the last, I would say, six to seven years of his career. But there was an eight-year span where he was he was that dude on as a center in the NBA. Like, you know, there's a reason why he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And w- was he part of the 75 team? Dwight? I don't think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, no, he should have been. So. He should have been. He should have been because, there, you know, there was an eight-year span there where he was like a three-time defensive player of the year. He led the league in rebounds like three or four times. He led the league in blocks twice. Like, and he was averaging, you know, 20, 24, 25 points during that time. Like, he was that dude. And didn't he I get the during, magic to the finals? Yeah, and he got him to the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talk about the magic with, you know, Hito Turkaloo, Richard Lewis, JJ yeah, Redick. Jameer Nelson was an all star because of him. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, you know, if you have a guy that can be like that, if you have a guy that, you know, can almost play like that, regardless, regardless of, the NBA that we're in now, because again, if you have a guy like Josh Giddy on your team, Josh Giddy can get him the ball in, in the spaces that he likes. SGA will find a way to get him the ball in, in spaces that he likes. And so if he's adding gravity as somebody that's running to the rim and they have to collapse in, you're going to have space on the outside, you know, to get open shots and things of that nature. So I just think, you know, his, his physical tools and, you know, again, he played for Memphis, which was a horribly put together team. Um, and, and the fact that they made it as far as they did, it's very surprising. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Duran was there as a stabilizing factor in the middle. Thank you, dog, for agreeing with me as a, <laughs> as a stabilizing factor in the middle. Uh, so I just think I, I think, you know, you take into account, you know, the crappy guard play that was around him at Memphis and the fact that, you know, he helped lead that team into the second round of the, uh, of the NCAA tournament. And so I just, I I like, I like what I see from him. So do you see like at his ceiling, is he DeAndre Jordan or is he bam out of bio? I think he's somebody Um, different personally. I do too. I, you know, I think he's a little bit different. He's a bit, so you remember with Steven Adams, how it took him, I would say literally six or seven seasons before he actually made that pass into the, into the corner. Um, if he, you know, if the defense collapsed on him, it took him a while to get to, to where he was actually making that pass. Duran has that pass already. Like Duran is a pretty good playmaker as center. Um, as far as finding the correct, 
you know, the correct path to, to take. Um, so I, I think he is a different player because I think DeAndre Jordan is just – he was just a, a big guy that could rebound and could catch lobs, and that's about it. You know, we're seeing later in his career how limited he is. You know, he can't even stay on the floor anymore. He doesn't get on the floor anymore. Um, so, yeah, I do think – I do think you would probably put him at a level – like not quite at BAM, but a little bit less than that with the possibility of developing a defensive game that would kind of look like bands. I think he's Robert Williams. Yeah, I can see that too. And if you, you know, if you get Robert Williams at like six or seven, I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the anchor. Like he's the straw that stirs the drink on that, like, you know, elite defense for the Celtics, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, when he came back in, you know, even, you know, not a hundred percent, like it it changed the game for them um, in terms of how they was able to defend the basketball, you know, just, you know, just clogging up the lane, man. Like, and on offense, you know, like we said, like, you know, he finishes everything around the rim. Like he shoots a ridiculous percentage around the rim. Um, I've seen him, you know, be able to make shots out of the post. You know, he's a guy that you can go to in the half court as well. And it's full court. He's a guy that will run the floor, which is very important with this young team that we have. And, you know, like Alex alluded to, you know, Amani Bates was playing point guard for Memphis at one point. <laughs> like, take that and then let him play with Josh Gideon Shea. Probably going to be okay. Yeah, Josh, you know, Josh Gideon Shea, Trey, you know, just add add people out there that, Number one, the defense has to look after Shea and have to look after Trey. And you're going to have lobs. You're going to have lobs. You're going to have, you know, offensive rebound opportunities galore, especially with SGA um, going to the basket a whole bunch. Um, and so a guy like Durant can clean that, and he could probably average easily 15 points just off the bat. Well, if he's playing with Trey, he's going to be thinking lob, and then Trey's going to throw him behind the bat fast because that's just what Trey does. So. Um, yeah, let me see here. Okay, yeah, so I had, yeah, Moles, go ahead and talk about Keegan Murray because Alex had him eight, and you know, as Dyson Daniels does, he bumped Murray to number nine for me. He was number eight previously, so uh, why you have him at six, man? Well, because everybody talks about the age thing, right? I think it's so dumb to talk about the age thing now, like. Our star, rising superstar, is starting his second contract next season. He's a max player starting his second contract next season. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do want upside. I know I mentioned that earlier, right, that I want upside. That's uh, And that's what bumped it down with Matherin. But Keegan's a a big guy. He can fit a, a, a need that we have. And he's a bucket getter. He's a floor spacer. He's a guy that can do a lot of the dirty work. Him alongside Shea and Giddy is a beautiful fit. He's that type of guy that's going to be able to do all the things that you need on a team that's successful, that's winning games, that's making a push for the playoffs, which I know that maybe you don't want to do next year. But like in 2023, when it's like go time, you know, we push the dang button and we move the chips in the middle and whatever other analogy or, or whatever phrase you want to say, like we're it, we go in Ian in 2023, 
Murray, he's that perfect guy that you can put alongside them. So I just, I, the age thing means nothing to me. Age ain't nothing but a number when it comes to Keegan Murray. Like he's going to be able to fit so well with what they do. And he already scores at such a high level. Like if people are like, well, he's, he's closer to the ceiling. I think than a lot of other people good. That means that he's kind of ready to contribute right away. And he's, he's ready to like help us. And he could be a guy that we know is going to be on our squad moving forward. And we just, we go ahead and write him in and use him as a piece to help build around. So is he going to be a star? No, but is he going to be a really, really damn good, like role player for us? in in a playoff run like is he the type of guy that you can say man we don't win that series without him yeah he could be that type of guy for us i've I've seen some people say like he could be another tobias harris Mm -hmm. maybe in in some some regards i know it's a big ass contract but like tobias harris is still a really good basketball player right and if he's like your fourth or fifth best player on your team you got a really good squad so I don't know people talking about his age. I think that's super overblown. The guy's a professional bucket getter and he's a glue guy. So yeah, give me him. If we like slide and we get, and we get Murray, I'm like, we could have done a lot worse. Yeah. My big thing with Murray is like, I would love him as a second pick, but if we take the first yeah. pick, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little bit saucy. <laughs> Because it means we we probably fell to that seven eight range, and I'm not gonna yep. be happy about it. But yeah, I mean, you, you can't argue with production. Like he was, he was a really productive player. And you know, all the guys that we've had on talked about, you know, when Presty says they draft people and not players, they've all echoed the sentiment that Keegan is like a team first guy, like just a great guy all around. And but also he has that dog in him as well. So. Uh, you know, somebody that will compete and get physical and, you know, put the team first. So if he was on the team, I wouldn't be mad about it. Just don't let it be the first pick, please. All right. Next up here, we got the five spot. And this is where I have Jaden Ivey. He's previously my number four. And he's number five. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. What about you? Let's go to Alex. Alex, you got five first. Yep, I got Jay Ivey. Aha! There you go. Moles, about you? <laughs> I got the guy y'all didn't mention yet. Um, I got I got Sharp, but I, obviously you guys, you guys have him higher. I want to have him higher. I probably would if I would have seen him at Kentucky. Um, I guess he really didn't want to play for that that squad, whatever that is. But I mean, when you um, lose to a 15 seed, I mean, I mean, yeah, why you would know. you want to waste your time? One day it's going to get old. Why? Just one day it'll Why? get old. But that, that day, day is not today. today. <laughs> yeah, just just like you know, providing y'all some context. Sharp, his family, Cal, the teammates, all wanted him to play. Freaking Dwayne Washington wouldn't let him play. So there you go. <laughs> um, B- BBN in the tournament stood for Blue Balls Nation. That's what that stood for. So that's unfortunate. That's but right. I'm a Sooners fan. We didn't even make it. It's fine. Yeah, oh, um, you had to, you had to do that. There you go. Hey, hey, and I didn't say a single thing about it. So, but it's it's fine. Um, this 
he's intriguing enough that if like if you knew he was healthy and he was going to come out and somebody took him number one overall, I'd be like, yeah, I could see it. Like with some of the comps that some people have thrown out, I mean, uh, KOC and all of his glory, right? Love him or hate him. Paul George, tall Bradley Beal, Jalen Green. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, Alex even said in the last podcast that, you know, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Green. And when you when you think about it, like, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Sharp is actually a little bit taller than Jalen Green. It's got a little bit longer of a wingspan. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm going to save, you know, what I got to say for Sharp in a little bit because obviously I've got him a little bit higher on my list. But let's talk about Jaden Ivey here. Um, Moles, you have Ivey three. If not, we'll, uh, I'll skip you, but I assume you have three. Oh, four. Yeah, that's on that. My bad. I'm sorry. We're on five. So, Moldy, you have him at four. Okay, and we have him at five. Yeah. Cool. All right, so Jaden Ivey, I think the the first big thing is just the fit. I think that's why we have him a little bit lower. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with Shea, Giddy, Trey Man, Lou Dort, there's not, there's not a lot of uh, spots for a guard to be playing out there, especially a guard that needs the ball as much as Jaden Ivey seems to need the ball. But that's not taken away from the type of player that Jaden Ivey is. Extremely athletic, extremely explosive with the basketball in his hands. A guy that takes and makes very difficult shots. Um, you know, his defense is a little suspect when he's engaged. He's a solid defender. And, I mean, from everything that I've seen in all the games that I've seen him play, he's a strong competitor. So, uh, that's what I got to say about Jaden Ivey. Do you guys have anything to add about that? No, I mean, Jaden Ivey, he's going to be a good player. He's – I don't think he's John Morant, you know, and I think a lot of people look at him and, you know, maybe part, maybe, maybe partially they look at his hair and they look at, you know, his height and stuff like that. And he looks kind of like John Morant, uh, but John Morant's a different, he's a different animal. And I don't think Jaden Ivey is quite as athletic as John Morant is, but, I, you know, I still think he is going to be very successful in this league. And if he's paired with the right players, um, I, I think he could be a menace. I think, you know, if you put him with, you know, shooting on the court, I think he could be amazing. Um, but I don't think – I don't think the Thunder are there yet. And I, you know, I kind of agree with the sentiment that the Thunder have a lot of ball handlers currently. Um, and so, you know, you, you kind of go into that whole question about BPA versus best fit. And sometimes BPA, like I know – I know there's a strong contingent that says, hey, just take the best player and figure it out. But you have to have a team that allows that best player to become his best form. And I think if you have way too many ball, you know, ball handlers on the team already and Ivy's going to be the type of player that needs the ball in his hand, then you're kind of stunting his growth from the beginning. And, you know, that could be that that that's not that's not very so what I'm looking for, it's, it's not, it, it, it doesn't work for you and it was, and it doesn't work for the player to its utmost potential. It's mutually detrimental. Yes. Let me counter it real quick. So we saw Shea be on a three guard lineup when he first got to OKC playing with mm-hmm. Schroeder, playing with CP three and Shea and, and Giddy are a little bit bigger right um so they're not like traditional guards they kind of fit into that 
one through three, even a small ball four, like Giddy could probably be a small ball four in some instances, right? Especially as he builds out his frame. I think Ivy actually having all that additional space in the and with all that other talent on the floor with him, think that puts him in a better matchup than like anything he saw in college. <laughs> um, and it seems as though like Purdue, like they, they wanted to work from the inside out instead of just letting him feast, mm-hmm. which seems so backwards to me. Like seeing Ivy, like if we got Ivy, if we had the fourth pick and we took Ivy, like, the three guard lineup would be the very first thing that comes to mind and how much success that we were able to have with that roster. Diggs was there. I, I, I think that we could freaking, I, I think that three headed monster could eat. And then you just bring man off the bench for someone and he could still get you, you know, 16 to 20 any given night. Right. So I see it. I understand why you dropped him. And of course you guys have somebody a little higher because um, he's got a little bit bigger frame, but man, I <laughs> Ivy's got the ability to take a lot of pressure off of Shea and a lot of pressure off of Giddy and just go hunt himself. And I think that's, we've seen it. And that's the thing. Like we've actually seen it. That's why I have him higher than sharp. Um, so this is my counterpoint because now I know you guys are going to make your counter counterpoint. <laughs> I just, we've, we've seen it and I wish he would have actually gotten more opportunity in college to be that guy. It seemed like the system didn't want that. Whereas Dagnault's been a part of a team, been a part of an organization that has used that with some success in the past. So that's all. Yeah, no, I, I said the same thing. Um, I'm, I know, all the New Zealand guys asked the same question. I don't think DeAndre did, but Nate and Steven asked when we did draft deeper. Corey kind of talked about it and you know said said what Alex said, and then Rucker even asked before. And you know I said the same thing to pretty much all of them. You know, there's precedent for this. Like you know we've seen it happen in Thunder jerseys with Shea in the three guard lineup. Granted, they're different players, but you know there is precedent for it working. You know, I guess in this retrospect, you see Giddy kind of take a Chris Paul role, you know, kind of the main initiator. Shea, ironically enough, kind of slides into, I think, the Schroeder role, which, you know, is just like driving to the rim like crazy, you know. More assertive. Yeah, playing off ball a little bit in terms of like, you know, getting shots. And then I think Ivy takes the Shea spot. And, you know, Shea was the leading scorer on that team that year, but a lot of the times, especially in the crunch time, he was the third option. But the important thing to note is, you know, there's precedent of that lineup being played, but there's precedent of it working too because that three-man lineup was number one in the league in terms of plus minus. And, and I think they was number one in clutch scoring as well. So there's mm-hmm. precedent for it working. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge BPA guy. I understand the fit thing. And, you know, if you want to go with fit, I get it 100%, but, I mean, we're talking about last year when there was guys like Franz Wagner, Jonathan Kaminga, James Bootnight, like guys that theoretically fit better with this team, and Sam Presti took Josh Giddy. So, I don't think Presti cares too much about fit. And, you know, at this point, you know, like, like I said on the draft, when the draft deeper guys were on here, at this point we're not good enough 
to wait, we don't have enough talent to care about fit. Like you, mm-hmm. you take them who you think the most talented guy is and you figure it out from there. There's a chance we bring in Ivy and he outplays, you know, somebody, you know, there's a chance he outplays Giddy. And like, you know, we're looking at Ivy and Shea instead of, you know, Giddy and Shea. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, there is a chance. And like, you know, if you bring in a player like that, you've got to give him that chance to, you know, go out and prove himself. And at the same time, say you take Jaden Ivey, say the fit's absolutely horrible, the chemistry's still there with Gideon Shea, like it's grown, it's working, but when Ivy's on the court, there's just a disconnect, but he's still getting his numbers. It's just, you know, not cohesive. Ivy's still a big name. He was a top four draft pick, obviously, in this scenario. You're trying to get Victor Wimanyama next year. Guess what? Let's package Jaden Ivey, whatever our pick ends up being, and like five future picks – Go get Victor Wimanyama. It's a possibility. That's that's my fan fiction. Yeah, that is fan fiction right there. Hey, if if you no. have a team that needs a guard, it's possible. Uh, yeah, it's possible. Sure, it is. So my my thing with that, and you know, I, I hear what you guys say about the, you know, it worked. It, the three guard lineup worked with Chris Paul, Shea, and Schroeder. My counter to all that is there's nobody out there in any three-guard lineup that we're going to put out that's as good as Chris Paul was as a facilitator, floor general, and clutch player at this moment. Like, as far as facilitating and floor general, you know, being a a general, you know, Giddy, Giddy could get there eventually. He's great at those things. But the clutch stats, you know, that's what made that team work. That's what made the Chris Paul lineup work so well is, hey, you got into a game, two minutes left in the game, and it was what – was, what, what's the stats? You got to be within five points in a two-minute two game or something like that. Crunch time. But the reason they're so, yeah, something like that. The reason they're so high is because Chris Paul is, is such a great clutch player, like historically great clutch player. Um, and so making it work to that degree may not necessarily be what you get with a SGA, Giddy, uh, Jaden Ivey lineup. And, and, and you're going to have to deal with spacing right there, you know, because I still think, you know, I, I don't think all of a sudden next year Giddy's going to be shooting 40% from three, you know. And Jaden Ivey, for as great as he is as a driver, you know, wasn't necessarily known as a great three-point shooter. You know, he he improved from his freshman year to his sophomore year, um, but he, he only shot, I believe it was 35 or 36% uh, for the year. So, you know, there 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 is precedent for three-card lineups working, but you have to look at the players that were involved in those three-card lineups, and I don't think there's anybody on, you know, this iteration or this new, you know, this new possible iteration of a three-guard lineup versus the one that had Chris Paul. I'll say that the aggregate for the guards in particular is probably closer than what you said. The clutch player is now Shea. Yeah, I think it's like Shea's a redistribution of, uh, of responsibilities, goals. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and Giddy's probably like already a top 10, 15 facilitator in the NBA. When you yes. say that, like, uh, yeah, I so agree with that. even though he's not like number one, like 
he's still all the like he's pretty high up there and his height and his length gives him a different dynamic that Chris Paul just he obviously can't have so Chris Paul became a tactician because he had to because he was what six foot so like you have he brilliant right like and, and especially like for me that was an MVP caliber season he had in OKC with what he was able to do he's top five right but I think that I think the aggregate is is closer. The limitation we have right now is at the five spot. We don't have anybody right now as effective as what like Adams would have been like in that scenario. And then we certainly don't have a Danilo Gallinari yes. type of type of guy. Like so overall roster construction wise, we're not quite there yet. But when you're looking at like quote unquote one through three. I think a lot of those roles, a lot of those attributes, a lot of the things that made that successful could still be successful with, uh, with an Ivy, uh, insert, if you will, into that. And, oh, by the way, we still have Dort and now Dort's better. So we got to rotate in and use Dort as the third guard or whatever, like we still have that option as well. So I don't know. I see your point. I see your counterpoint for it. I will say that like you guys got sharp higher and if you look at just raw measurables, there's not a whole lot of difference right now between the two. Obviously I think sharp's going to get a little bigger. What do you think sharp sharp gets up to? He's six, six, 200 right now, probably six, six to 25, probably in his prime. Is that unreasonable? Well, Cassidy's still growing because he was listed at six five when he came to Kentucky, and he already grew an inch in this time at Kentucky. So, who knows, man? Who knows how much he's gonna grow? Uh, the thing with Sharp, like differentiating with Sharp and Ivy on their size, like Sharp has a freakish wingspan. Like he has a seven foot wingspan. Like he's got a plus six inch wingspan on his height. So, uh, that th- that's that for Sharp. Before we get into Sharp, um, I-, I do want to ask Alex, who- who's your number? four prospects so my number four is actually jabari smith bro get out of my head <laughs> are you for real like, same thing with you i oh I have, both are there yeah I've, wow. got, I've got jabari four and i got sharp three yep wow same thing there it is and that's that's the thing, man. Like going back and like talking to these guys about Jabari. I'm just I have questions, man. I think it was uh Jonathan Sharks said that Jabari's like two point percentage was like the lowest in like the past like 20 years in terms of like guys that are drafted into like the top projected to be drafted in like the top 30 picks or something like that. I'm like, that's, that's not nothing. Like that's that, not, yeah. That's like, the entire season's worth. Yeah. Like, you know, and as you know, he had Walker Kessler down there in the paint. So like, you know, it clogs things up a little bit and his three point shooting, like it speaks for itself. And he did some things on the elbow. Like I think that, you know, he, he could be an effective scorer in the league. But he also didn't create his own shot. He has very little creation ability, and a lot of scouts are really questioning his ability to dribble the ball at all. Um, 
like what you're getting in Jabari Smith is a play finisher. He's not a guy that is going to start or create his own play for himself or his teammates for that matter. And, you know, that's not to say he wouldn't be a great fit. Like if the Thunder ended up with Jabari Smith Jr., I'd be ecstatic. Like I'd do jumping jacks. Like, like I, I think like he's seamless offensively with his shooting, but even defensively, like, you know, he's billed as like this, phenomenal perimeter defender and like he's good like he has potential to be really good but you know he takes himself out of the place sometimes you know he goes to sleep sometimes especially off ball like when he's engaged on ball like yeah he's he's there he's him defensively in this draft but it's just it's hit or miss like it's picking his spots and now I will say because this is an argument I've used from Paolo having Mark Dagnall would be beneficial to him because you know we know Mark Dagnall is gonna emphasize and demand that you um that you lock in defensively or, or else you're not going to be able to do what you want to offensively like Trey Mann played four minutes a lot of the times because he made one mistake on defense and he pulled him the rest of the game so I, I think that you know with a guy like Dagnall he will challenge him defensively and he could reach his potential but Right now, man, you know, just the the lack of creation offensively kind of scares me. And I say all that to say, you know, again, if he ends up with the Thunder, I'd be ecstatic because the guards that he had from Auburn compared to Shea and Giddy creating for him, like it's not even night and day. It's like winter solstice and like <laughs> <laughs> like a, like the, like the brightest day in, like in the history of the world, but like. You know, I, I just have my questions. So I'll, I'll let Alex go off now. No, like, what you said is, is exactly it. Like, you know, his his creation ability or inability is what gives me pause for getting something, getting somebody that high in the draft and, and mm-hmm. what you need. Now, you know, again, like you said, if we do get him, you know, if we have the fourth pick, if we have the third pick and we, you know, and we take him, I completely understand, and I'm okay with that. Like, if you know, if, if we can get somebody, a four-man, that's out there shooting 39 40% from three, and you still have, you know, SGA, Giddy, Trey Man, Dort, you know, you, you understand how that can work also. Um, I just think he has limitations offensively, and I think those limitations in and of itself kind of, limit his upside like he's young you know we always you know we always talk about age and we always talk about hey the younger the better because their upside potential is there um but i i think his game you know as far as how it's built currently does limit his potential as you know as a as as somebody who may not be able to counter you know to 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 do counters you know as far as if you stick somebody on him and you say hey stay on him and he can't drive, he can't, you know, he can't facilitate, then it kind of limits his game, you know, big time. And so, you know, those types of things, like if you want to, if you pick somebody that early in the draft, you want to get somebody that can, that has, you know, the ability to counter what defenses throw at them. And that's what makes them great. Um, and so I, I think that his inability to counter with drives and dribble drives and things like that may limit his potential. Yeah, like he's looking a lot more like sure thing Mikhail Bridges than 
like a Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, Mikael Bridges is a great, great player. player for the Suns. You need a guy and like that. a great player for the system. Exactly. But if you're able to draft somebody who has the potential to be a superstar, you take him. And there's, you know, you're talking about potential when you're talking about Sharp. You're talking about potential. But, you know, we saw with Jalen Green last year at the second half of the season and, you know, or let's, let's say the last quarter of the season, he looked like a bona fide future superstar offensively. And if you can get somebody like that in this draft, a year, two years down the line, you have yourself a 25, 26-point score to go along with Shea, to go along with Giddy. It's, you take that risk. Especially when I you have s- another pick in the draft, when you have another pick in the in the lottery. Mm-hmm. I I will say this though, having the freedom to come out and just shoot twenty five plus times a game, with no offensive system, will help inflate your numbers a little bit. And I I love Green, like I I love his game. I think he's going to be, you know, a, a perennial All Star. Oh, oh man, like. People like to say OKC is the the black eye of the NBA because that's like trendy. Because I guess it's okay to hate on us because we've got all these picks. But Houston, when it comes to development and all that stuff, like what the hell are they doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they had no system at all. It was just like, hey, go shoot. Oh, Porter, go go shoot. Like you've got it. Like do you? Like yeah. Of course, it's going to look a little KPJ. different. KPJ, you're not a point guard at all, but go ahead and be a point guard. Go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go so, do it, man. Anyway, I, I digress a little bit because I think some of this stuff was a, a lot inflated in the back half. Like, you know, potentially good player on a really bad team. Um, like Tyree. You're, Evans, I mean, you're right. Of the year. You're right. But, I mean, you know, that last quarter of the season. There were a lot of teams that were playing their worst lineups of the season during that time. And so, you know, if you have a player that's even mildly offensively gifted and he's playing Portland, you know, he's going to go off. And so I I do agree with you a little bit on on that respect. You still have to make the shots, though. And so, you know, if a a defense is still keying on you, keying in on you and you're still making the shots, I think that says something. And, you know – he was probably getting a lot of the same looks at the beginning of the season and he wasn't making them at the beginning. So I, I, I don't know. I just think if you're able to draft somebody like that, you take that chance. Yeah. And the thing with Sharp, and it might just be the archetype because if I remember correctly, last year, me and Alex had Jalen Green higher than anybody else in the pod as well. Like I, I think I had I a number two. two on my final board. Did you have a two? Okay. Well, Moles, get on board with Sharp. Come on, man. He's, I, dude, I just – I haven't seen it. What? Like, we're not drafting guys out of high school anymore. Like, and he had a whole year out. So, I just – I I got to see it. Like, Baldwin, if, if, if high schoolers could have been drafted last year, where would Baldwin have gotten drafted? He would have been a lottery pick. Now he may not even be a first-rounder. Like he, – He's going first-round. I, I can almost promise you that. If he stays in the draft, Baldwin's going to go first-round. But – Okay, but not certainly not in the lottery. Maybe OKC takes him with the Suns pick, like something like that. But like, I don't know. Like, where we'll, we'll talk where about, would uh 
Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go no, ahead. Sorry. no, no. I was gonna say we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm sure with the tank thoughts, man. But um, let me. So, in the article that I wrote for Monday, obviously Sharp came up. So, if y'all don't care, I'm just gonna read the expert that I, the excerpt that I wrote, and y'all, y'all kind of tell me what you think on this. Um, so I said, well, Sharp, you're on one side of the fence or the other. You either ten thousand percent on board with him and think that he is him think he should be on the thunder or you think it's asinine to consider taking someone who hasn't played competitive basketball in over a calendar calendar year so high well i can't tell you that either side's inherently wrong sharp is a mystery that's part of what makes him so intriguing and this time at the peach jam when the stock really started to rise he showcased what people think can make him a star scoring with ease, shooting off the catch off the dribble off movement getting to the lane with ease finishing with both hands with both finesse and ferocity with either hand um I didn't mean to say both hands, both, both finesse and ferocity with either hand, uh, exploding into the passing lanes, detonating at the rim on both sides of the ball, all while showcasing a smoothness to his game similar to that of Paul George. There's a precedent for teams taking guys right out of high school, and there's also a precedent for the Thunder taking someone who hasn't played in over a year. While Jaden Ivey feels like a safer pick, he is anything but a fit with Shea Gildas-Alexander and last year's number six pick and Josh Giddy. Sharp is a theoretical fit, but I'll take that over a questionable fit. So that's in comparison to Jaden Ivey. But what I was trying to get at was there's precedent for taking people out of high school. Granted, it was a few years ago, but there's also precedent for somebody taking a guy that hasn't played basketball in over a year. And it was in Presti. Prestident. Prestident. I like it. So what, what do you guys say about that, Moles? I mean, it sounded great. I, I like the, uh, I like the alliteration there. What finesse and ferocity, the beautiful, yes. uh, very well written. Of course, I would expect nothing less from you, but I, wasn't talking I get that. it. <laughs> like, I certainly understand. Yeah. Um, I, I said like, again, like if I, if I knew, you know, like and somebody took him number one, I w- I'd be like, okay, I could see it. I see the potential there. I just haven't seen it in competitive basketball. And so like both sides of the argument win right now. Yeah. Like the reasoning doesn't change based on what the results are. So everything else is going to be hindsight. And obviously one side of the coin is going to be, Oh, you're, you're an idiot. And I, I want nothing but the best for the kid. And if he comes to OKC, I want him to be the next Paul George for us but I understand going with something that's more of a sure thing. That's all. You like the theoretical question instead of a questionable one or theoretical fit instead of a questionable fit. I say you get the talent that you can rely on in the building. And then it's stagnant and the staff's problem to work out as long as the cultural fit is there. And I think that Presti's not going to bring in anybody. That's not a cultural fit first. Not saying either one wouldn't be, but if if the cultural fits there, then it seems like the talent could be an on court fit a lot easier. So I trust either way that Presti goes there. Yeah, and I'm just saying, like, if there's a GM in this draft that will take Shaden Sharp high and like not think twice about it, I think it's Presti. And he's got certainly a lot of other dart throws and outs, right? Like he can swing and miss on this and still be just fine. 
a lot of other guys could swing and miss on this and then lose their job because yeah. of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I mentioned in the article too, like, I, I think that having the two picks gives you flexibility. If you want to take a safer option early, you can swing late. If you want to swing early, you can take a safer option late. So that, that flexibility definitely helps things out. Um, so Moza, who did you have it for, you know, or at three, obviously me and Alex had sharp at three. Yeah. Um, mine hasn't changed. My top three hasn't changed at all. So I got, I got uh I got Paolo at three. And I just think like it's tough. Like I'm gonna sound like a little bit of a hypocrite because I really freaking love um what DeRozan did this year. But really where I see like Paolo being like most effective is probably in the mid-range. Um, which is fine. Like that's great. Like I think he could be an all-star. I think he could average like 21 and 12 something like that for us which would be be like phenomenal um especially given that like giddy and shay are also going to get ports and stuff um don't really need him to be a facilitator i just think like the super duper star um level isn't going to be as high as my top two and i i'm i guess i'm higher on jabari than you guys are um I just think that Jabari would flourish next to SGA and, and Giddy. I think that people would be like, yeah, he's easily like a top three player on a, uh, a contending team. And um, like if he reached a ceiling and SGA and, and Giddy are still growing, I'm going to talk about Jabari here because it ties into Ben Carroll. Like I would say that that top three is greater than like Chris Paul, Booker, and um, and Aiton. Like if if like our guys kind of get to reach their ceiling, Chris Paul being on the back end, right? Bridges is kind of that difference maker. So maybe Smith's there, and we're getting our third piece next year in like a Wimbenyama or a trade or whatever for somebody. But I just I think that Ben is more limited, and I think Smith's ceiling is higher if he can develop right and the fits great alongside the guys that are going to be able to put him in spots to succeed. Ben is going to be a stat stuffer, like he's going to stuff the stat sheet, and it's going to look great. And he's probably going to average twenty points like real quick in the in the NBA. Going to be a double double guy, and I see that, but. Oh man, I just, I, I just, I gotta say, I don't think the ceilings as high, and maybe I'm an idiot, and maybe we're gonna look back on this and be like, God, like kick this guy off the pod because he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. But I, I just see the other two guys much higher than him as far as being able to be like a difference maker in the playoffs, being a potential generational guy. There's no like Zion, quote unquote Zion in this draft there's no like anthony davis in this draft or even as seen at the time like carl anthony towns although holmgren kind of could be a better version of what we thought that could be um gotta say like ben caro at three i would still be like stoked i we get anywhere in the top four and i'm i'm super super excited about what we're gonna do Let me i just ask- i think he's oh, a little yeah. limited yeah, let me ask you this. Is Jabari your number two? Jabari's number two for me. Okay. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Alex, who did you have at number two? So at so at number two, I have actually I have Chet at number two. Bro, get <laughs> Alex, bro, get out of my freaking head, dude. <laughs> I Alex said that he copied your notes. I didn't. I thought he was joking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. No, I got I got Chet number two and then I got Paolo number one. Yeah, I I do as well. And you know like like, like I said to you guys, like when we brought on all these no ceiling guys, like we've had, we have even more, like there's so much discourse in this draft. Everybody's got different opinions. Everybody's got different guys at the top. So everybody gives different reasonings why you should like, you know, not even not like guys. Cause like, they're not negative, but like they give different reasons why you should like these guys more. So it, it's no big deal that, you know, we have, you know, different draft boards, but for me, like just rewatching, like, you know, diving into Palo's film and stuff, I don't think there's anything this guy can't do offensively. Like, the three-point shot, like, he's not Jabari Smith Jr. I, I grant you that, but he's not freaking Mark Williams either. Like, he can he can shoot the ball. I think he has the potential to be a legitimate three-level scorer. He's a guy that can do work in the post. He's a guy that can get it done around the rim. Mulsey commented on his mid-range. And, of course, what I just said about his three-point shot, I think he's got a bag at his size. Like he's got a lot of like crafty dribble moves. And the thing that the most underrated thing about him, the thing that I think the Thunder would really his value pass. out of him. Yes. He's one of the best passers in this draft. Like obviously, you know, Chet is a great passer in itself, but I think I think Jabari is right on par with him in terms of like passing big man. Like he's one of the best playmakers in the draft. Like you know, the Duke team didn't have a true point guard. Like, they had Trevor Keels put his head down and go to the rim and create from that. But late in the year, going into the postseason, they started aligned on Paolo to create for not only himself but his teammates as well. And that's when that team really started to, you know, reach their, le- like, their highest level. That's when they really started to thrive. That's when you got to see what Paolo was doing. So, um yeah, man, that's that's why I got Powell number one. And you know, going back to the defensive, um, the defensive worries about Powell, like I get it, hundred percent. Dude's built like a truck. He's strong. He's gonna be able to rebound. He's gonna be able to bang with the big guys. Um, and in terms of like you know getting switched out on people, I don't think he's super slow. Like I get like he he got burnt a lot, but I think that he has tools to be at least average, like not a net negative, like just a net neutral on the defensive end. And if he's able to do that and provide what he does offensively, I I think I think he could be a great number. Like I, I think he's deserving number one. Um, but honestly, like I don't even have Chet and Paolo number one and number two. I have them like 1A and 1B because. True, yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah I mean. Like, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, man, because I, I want to hear this because, like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, like I'm I'm ecstatic if we get top three regardless. Mm-hmm. I'm happy if we get top four. Like, you know, this is a draft where you have options. You know, this is a draft where, you know, you have different players that will occupy different positions on your team, and all those positions are of need on this team. So, you know, whether it's BPA or fit, 
you know, we have a ton of needs on, on our team and all those guys in the top three, top four, hell, we can even push it to top five, you know, fit needs on our team. And so, you know, to become a great team, you have to fill those needs. You have to fill those niches out there on the floor. And so, you know, again, like you said, 1A, 1B, hell yeah. Like, if if we get, you know, if we get, we're announced as the number one pick and on draft night, Adam Silver comes up there and he says, Chet Holmgren, I'm ecstatic. If he goes up there and says, Paolo Bancaro, I'm ecstatic. Like, you know, both those guys are, are going to be talented and both those guys will be great on our team. Yeah, and – you know, Moles, you have Chet number one, so I'll let you go into why you have him, you know, over all, all the other guys. But, like, you know, like like, like I was – I said in my article as well. I, I hate to keep going back to it, but like I said in my article as well, like no matter what my board is, I feel in my heart of hearts if the Thunder get number one pick, it's Chet Holmgren, and it's not even a discussion. Um, so, like – it, it's kind of moot, but like, you know, just for my personal big board, I, I got Paolo number, you know, 1A over Chet 1B just, just by a little bit, just because I think people are sleeping on what Paolo can actually do for an NBA team, personally. That's that's all I'm saying. So, Mules, uh go wax poetic on Chet Holmgren for us real quick. I get the fact that a lot of his production came against inferior competition. I, I understand that. But like amongst his peers, the guys that would know, and this was even in our last pod, like who is him at this summit or who is him here in this tournament, right? Like mm-hmm. Jane Ivy said it's Chet without even hesitating. Yeah, the Phoebus, yeah. And that and and that's that's Ivy, man. Like that's that's a dude that has all the all the faith and all the belief in himself. And he was, he called out Chet. That says a couple of things. One, the guy, the guy works his butt off on the floor. That says that the guy's got a good work ethic. And it also says that the guy fits. It says that people respect him on and off the floor. It says that he, he's somebody that's going to be able to come in and do his work, lead by example. He's not going to be a hot, a holier than thou type of like, oh, look at me. Like I'm the number one pick type of mentality he's just going to go to work and people are going to go to want to go to work with him obviously we need a big and out of any draft of late to need a big like this is one of the better ones to potentially draft like in the top three Mm -hmm. right um and then of course you can say whatever you want about uh about duran which you guys did and potentially mark williams even as like a worst case scenario at 12 whatever type of situation but Chet Holmgren is the only player I see in this draft right now. Now hindsight's 2020, but he's the only player I see in this draft that you could say that guy could be a generational type of talent, or he could be like a, an MVP caliber player. He could be a guy that's like shooting 38 plus percent on five plus threes per game while also giving you work inside and and being a defensive player of the year type of caliber player while also being a facilitator. He can run a break. He could grab a rebound and literally start going the other way and he doesn't have to dump it off to anyone else. And when you've got guys like him 
and Shay and Giddy, like bet, rebound, and go and push. And all those guys developing shots and check and shoot from outside and all those things, like basically all the things that we've wanted a big man to have, all those traits that we've wanted a big man to have in OKC. Like as much as we love Steven Adams and his toughness, we've never had it. We've never had the the guy, I mean, Muscala, right? Like, but Muscala's not. I love you, Moose. Once you hear for the rest of your career, but like the guy that we're planning on playing 35 to 40 minutes in a playoff game, <laughs> like, and be able to do all those things, stretch the floor, facilitate, still be a menace on defense per 36, 4.9 blocks per game. What? What? It's, yeah. it's incredible. Now, granted, I know some of that's like weak side help and, and all that stuff. And what Gonzaga wanted to do was funnel a lot of that to him. So it set him up for success, but like do that length and his tenacity and the timing with both hands to be able to block shots. Really, really incredible to be able to add. So like having him on this roster, you could look back and say like, like Anthony Bennett, right? Like, yeah, they had the number one pick, but do you even really think of him as the number one pick anymore? You think of him as a bust. You don't really like he does. He is a, a number one pick, but he's not kind of in that scenario. Right. Just a really weird week draft, all that. Such like a bad Chet draft. Holmgren is that like guy taking number one overall. And he's going to, he would carry that like his whole career. It'd be like, yep. I know why he went number one overall. We're seeing it, you know, 10 years down the line, defensive player of the year, perennial all-star, a guy that's, you know, able to be a problem in the playoffs, can't play the guy off the floor because he switches well and he can stay in front of guys and he's got the link to be able to make up for mistakes. Like, dude, th- he is a little scrawny, seven foot, 195 pounds, but he plays stronger than that. And I, I, I got to trust that what OKC is going to do and being able to put on meat on that frame while also not taking away his athletic ability, man, like he's the only guy in this draft that I could see that is like a franchise changer potentially like within the next three, four years. And we've already got two guys like that already on our roster. So adding him as our third piece Bro, that's crazy. And he's I he's got the highest ceiling of anyone in the draft. I don't I haven't heard anybody say he doesn't. They're just worried about his frame and worried about his longevity. He's got the highest variance in this draft because I don't think he's gonna bust, but I do think that he could have a lower floor than people realize. But I will say this about chat. Um and you know Tyler Rucker in the last pod said it, and it it really, you know, intrigued me and kind of, you know, got me more excited about him. But he said, you know, when you showed up early and, like, you know, got to watch him warm up, Chad wasn't doing big man warm-ups. He was doing the same kind of warm-ups and workouts that Kevin Durant does. And, you know, he, he said that, you know, he was shooting from three, from deep. The ball wasn't even touching the net. I, he was saying there was a lot of Chet's game that we didn't even get to see um, at Gonzaga. And, 
you know, Nate for drafty for a touchdown at, you know, Drew Timmy, like as, as good as he was in college basketball this year, he really held back, you know, what we could see from chat. So, I mean, Hey, I'm, I'm fully, I'm fully willing to admit Chet Holmgren could and probably will be the best player in this draft, just like Evan Mobley last year. Like I, I said, you know, he could still be the best player in this draft, but you know, right now I just have him just, just, just a little bit under Palo, but Hey, like we say all the times, our draft boards are fluid. They're constantly changing. So, you know, we've, we've still got a lot of guests coming on the pod from now to draft day. So, who knows, man? I could have Shaden Sharp number one by the end of this thing. <laughs> Probably won't, but I could. I could. Um, I think. I think the thing. The thing that keeps me from putting Chet just unanimous number one is that boom bust potential. You know, I, I believe the floor for Paolo is higher than the possible floor for Chet is. And so, you know, you, you know, Maddie, you waxed completely poetic when it came to Chet. And, you know, as far as persuasive, you know, persuasive talk, that was very persuasive. But I still look at, you know, I still look at like the, the bust potential. I don't, I don't like to use that word, the floor. Um, I still look at the floor of the yeah. players. And I think that Paolo has a higher floor than the potentiality of Chet's floor. Um, but yes, 100%. You know, the Chet, Chet's going to be one of those guys that ESPN or NBA, you know, the NBA channel, whenever he's playing, they put up like these weird, what looks like made up stats that like, you know, oh, he's the first player in NBA history to average, you know, 18 points, five blocks, 12 rebounds while also shooting 38% from three. You know, he's going to be like – he's going to be that guy's going to have, like, those types Sold. of stats. Yeah, exactly. Sold. He's going to be the, that kind of guy that has those types of stats and that, you know, you have to put – oh, he's the first player in NBA history to do this. You know, because he is – you know, he, he has – he has unicorn-like abilities if he's able to shoot that three consistently. Did you just say average five blocks a game? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm being a little bit, I'm being a little bit exaggerated, but you know, they're they're gonna put those, they're gonna put those types of stats out there where like, you know, oh, you know, okay, let's let's drop it down to three blocks, but still shooting thirty eight percent, which is not something that a lot of centers do that are good defensively. Yeah, no, I feel you, I feel you, I understand completely. Um, so Alex, do we have a mid roll this week? We don't. Okay, cool. <laughs> but I asked before. I said, great, great, great podcasting moment. Yeah, let's take a word. Let's pause to take a word from our sponsors here. Thank you for listening to the Topic Thunder podcast. Our podcast is available to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review, and follow us on Twitter at OKC Topic Thunder. Thunder up! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.